Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Crillo. Today, we have Colby Bowers. Colby is a wounded warrior, having served in the military for 23 years and now is a full-time real estate investor. Over the past 36 months, he has acquired over 600 rental units and expanded his company into four states. As a wounded warrior, he has a passion for giving back to his community by helping homeless and struggling veterans and supporting first responders. So thank you so much for being on the show, Colby. Oh, thanks, Charles. It's always a pleasure. So glad to be here and uh, looking forward to this. Awesome. So give us a little background on yourself, both personally and professionally prior to getting involved in uh, real estate investing. Yeah, well, you know, like you mentioned, um, you know, I, I uh, was in the military for 23 years. So I, I was uh, raised in South Florida. And you know, didn't know what I wanted to do when I got uh, uh, graduated high school. So I took a summer off and still didn't know what I wanted to do. And so I uh, joined the military and I think I was pretty much destined to join anyway. My, my dad was in um, during Vietnam, um, both grandparents, uh, Korea, World War II, um, World War I, um, all the way back to the Civil War, um, you know, had... Um, uh, so definitely a long uh, military heritage. So uh, ended up joining. Was only going to join for four years. Uh, you know, joined for for the the benefits and and to get that college education. And um, yeah, twenty three years later, um, finally uh, decided to uh, to to get out. Uh, ended up loving it. Got a lot of great experiences. A lot of great friends. Um, and really helped me develop uh, into what I'm I'm doing now. And I actually cut my teeth in real estate while I was still active duty. So bought my first, uh, first residence in my main home back in 2001. And, uh, that was, it was right before nine 11, uh, got to the unit I was with right after nine 11, we ended up being deployed, uh, uh, a lot. So I probably did, uh, out of five years that I was actively deploying with that unit, probably accumulation total of three years, actually spent deployed and and the significance of that is i i instead of coming back and buying a brand new vehicle or you know wasting money i ended up saving it up and bought my first rental unit and um yeah uh uh, after six years in that unit total when i left there i had six units and Mm. never looked back Nice, nice. So you utilized your uh, VA benefit when you're getting the mortgages. So zero percent. Is that uh, is that was the plan, or was kind of like the VA kind of not that it falls into your lap, but that's a huge perk. Is that you just want to utilize that, and that's what kind of got you into it, or did you see it from another far another reason why you got into real estate investing? Yeah, no. So you know, I I've always kind of had that inter, um, entrepreneurial mindset. You know, I, I knew you know once I got out of the military, you know, I kind of wanted to start my own business. Had no idea what that was going to be, but you know, kind of knew I wanted to be my own boss. And and really, when I bought my first property, it was just for myself. I knew the unit I was going with, we were going to be what they call high ops tempo, and this was even before nine eleven. So I knew I was going to be gone quite a bit. And I had been renting in my career up until then. And I knew with as much as I was going to be gone, 
you know, why it didn't make sense in my mind to pay rent for something when I'm going to be gone, you know, potentially four to six months out of the year. So I might as well buy something and at least it'll appreciate, you know, and so that was my initial mindset. I didn't have really much uh, interest knowledge or anything into real estate. Uh, it wasn't until, so that was 2001. It wasn't until like uh, end of 2003, first part of 2004, when I was like, wow, you know, look at the, the, what the, the, the housing, pro, um, housing's doing, it's, it's increasing, appreciating, um, and took that leap and bought my first one. And, you know, that was probably my scariest, uh, scariest decision. You know, there's a lot of unknowns because uh, I was still, you know, like I said, active duty, didn't know how to do it. I was in my mid 20s. And, you know, all those units I bought, I was with the high ops temple, I was still self managing because I received bad, bad, well intentioned, but bad advice um, of, you know, don't, you know, hire a property manager, you're wasting 10%. You know, you're throwing money away. Um, so yeah, so I was, you know, had the added stress of being halfway around the world and still trying to, you know, manage lease uh, residentials. Um, I when I left that that uh, that assignment, I knew I couldn't, you know, I was I was moving basically halfway across the the country, and knew that I wasn't going to be able to to do it on a full time regular basis. So I hired a property manager, and was really kicking myself because after the first month of having me, I was like, wow, look at all this extra time. I don't have this stress. <laughs> Why didn't I do this, you know, three years ago for you when I got into this? So yeah, so now I'm a huge proponent of property management. I don't manage anything myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hire the managers and I manage the managers now. Nice. Okay. Yeah. I want to circle back to that once we kind of get through what you're, what you guys are doing now, but what, what did you, you, you started flipping houses after this, after you came back or were you just, I mean, kind of what, how did you get into what you're doing now, which is larger multifamily, I guess you long-term investing. Yeah. You know, that's a good question. Cause um, you know, I, I knew I wanted to, you know, I had the bug, the real estate bug. And I was like, wow, you know, I, I loved it because it was uh, you know, it's a tangible asset. It's mm-hmm. fairly, you know, recession resistant. I survived the crash at 08. Mm-hmm. Um, and nine through diversity, um, you know, love the tax advantages and, you know, I can go out and actually touch what I own, you know, what I'm a partner. in, And so that's, I knew I wanted to stay into that and I knew I wanted to grow. I just didn't know how. So that's, I only stuck with what I knew and it wasn't until actually around 2016, probably into 2015, 2016, as I was getting ready to retire that I was like, you know what, I want to get into the commercial. I know that's where I want to get. Um, and so I started listening to a bunch of podcasts, um, reading blogs, you know, just a lot of self-education. And that's where I learned about, you know, syndication, joint ventures. And I was like, all right, cool. What's this syndication thing? You know, I, I know the book answer and everyone's like, oh, it's so easy. But nobody <laughs> back, back then was like, well, how do you break it down? What does that look like? You know, nobody really talked about it. And so, you know, kind of fast forward, and I attended my first uh, conference, real estate conference or boot camp. And I was hesitant, did a lot of research because I'm like, all right, you know, what's the upsell? 
you know, is it going to be worth it? Is it, you know, really educational? So I just, I uh, did some networking, found a really good program and bit the bullet and spent like, you know, $200 on a ticket. And then I had to fly. It was in another state. So I was at that point, I lived in Colorado where I'm still living, but this was in Chicago. So I was like, wow. So not only did I pay a ticket, now I'm getting on a plane rental car, all this expense. I'm like, this better damn well work. It better be worth it. Right. And I was, um, and it was the, you know, looking back, it was the best decision I made to get where I am today. So that boot camp was very informative, very, uh, informational, had limited upsell, uh, you know, and, and so it, the, the light bulb went off. It, they actually peeled the, the curtain back and was like, this is a syndication. This is how you break it down. Hmm. And I was like, wow, okay. I don't need a PhD to understand this and do this. It's a lot of work. It is hard work. There's nothing easy about anything in this, but I'm like, I can do this, you know, and that was my mindset. And so I just, you know, really dove in from there and yeah. found some men mentoring, networking and yeah, you know, and went from, you know, having nothing and knowing nothing. I spent probably a good six to almost 12 months of just really learning. Um, didn't dive into anything, was just, you know, learning as much as I could, calling brokers, underwriting deals, learning markets, figuring out, you know, trying to figure out where I wanted to put my feet and invest. And then, you know, did my first deal as a limited partner. And got to really peek behind this, the, the scenes. Um, that was part of my thing when I invested with this group. Um, I had built a network and I was like, hey, I, I'll invest. Um, but I want to kind of, I want to see, you know, how do you do the due diligence? How do you set this up? The, the broker or investor relations, the, mm -hmm. you know, and this was on a 300 plus unit um, portfolio. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't small. And I was like, you know, went through the whole process and I was like, wow, that's, that's not hard. You know, it's just, you follow the checklist, you get the right components in. Mm -hmm. And, and so it was just, it was a great confidence builder and yeah. And so jumped in with both feet and here I am today and I'm still mm -hmm. saying yes and figuring it out. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, the first time I heard about someone gave me a book. It was a uh, Gene Troberg's bridges book. Um, it's a whole new business in like 08 or something. And I just bought like probably my second multifamily property. And I was like, this sounds terrifying. Like the amount of stuff for syndication. I was like, not interested. I'm going to do buy my little stuff little by little myself as I was doing. And um, obviously you get to a point where you run out of, uh, you know, money and all the kind of stuff that happens with it and you want to grow your business. So it's, uh, it's kind of the next step, but very interesting. Yeah. It's from the onset, it's, uh, it's, it's very complicated of how you're going to structure everything, but it comes together and it's a lot of work, like you said. But um, so what do you, for your investment criteria now, I mean, you're investing in mobile home parks, smaller multifamily, larger multifamily. So what do you guys look for and what is your strategy uh, after you've acquired it? Yeah. So we look, our criteria for the multifamily, it's different than our mobile home park. So I'll kind of cover both of them. So really I'm looking at 20 plus units uh, on the mm -hmm. multifamily. Uh, 1970 to 2010 vintage, uh, is kind of where I'm really, I really focus. I'll look at stuff on either side, depending on the market and, and the asset itself. Um, and, and then on the mobile home park side, looking at pretty much 50 plus pads or more, 
um, pre prefer tenant owned properties where I own the dirt and the infrastructure, they own the homes, they pay lot rent, decreases your operating expenses. Um, we will look at, and I, and I do kind of like uh, the tenant owned parks, uh, or excuse me, the park owned homed. Um, but as long as we can pick it up for a price, a good price, mm -hmm. and we can convert them to tenant owned. Uh, and so that's, that's kind of where we look at the mobile home parks. Um, and then, you know, we kind of look in the same similar MSA. So maybe with the multifamily, I'm more in-depth into an MSA. A lot of the mobile homes seem to be kind of more on the outskirts, at least in the markets we're in. So at least I know the markets, I know property management, resources, everything in there. So we're just really just adding another asset class uh, to the markets we're currently in. Nice. Um, okay. Uh, so let's talk about those markets because it's Indiana, Arkansas, Florida, and there's one other state, which I don't know that you're invested into. How did you pick those? And like, what, what do you, or, I mean, you don't have to go through each state, but really what are you looking for when you're picking that MSA, right? Yeah, with these, it's, it was a combination of having some firsthand knowledge um, of those markets. So I, I either lived there, knew people that lived there or stationed there and, mm -hmm. um, you know, so, or, or had you know, spent some time or new folks that were, were intimately knowledgeable in those areas. Uh, and then also, you know, is, is market research. So not only having the intimate knowledge, but also going in and, you know, what's the demographics, you know, what's the population growth? How is it, you know, how, how has it done over the last 20 years, you know, unemployment, how did it do during the recession? Mm -hmm. um, you know, when we had the big downturn, uh, you know, so there's a, there's a whole lot of pieces into that. And, you know, I really look for smaller markets. So, you know, everyone's like Arkansas, you know, Indiana, you know, Florida, everyone's like, oh, cool, Florida, yeah. you must be like in Tampa, Orlando. No, I'm in Pensacola. <laughs> you know, I'm in, um, I'm in, I am in Indianapolis and around that MSA. Um, that's probably my largest market, but I like smaller markets. I like with great demographics, but they fly under the radar of most other investors. So I don't need to be in the sexy markets. I don't care about Dallas, even in my backyard of Denver. I keep an eye on those. Don't get me wrong. If I find something and it makes sense, I will invest. But I'm putting most of my efforts into markets that I don't have a lot of competition. And so that's kind of what I'm doing is focusing on that because I am very, I consider myself very conservative. There's people that are more conservative than my, I am in my team. There's some that are less, but you know, I like to be able to take my time, look at it. And I don't want to get into a bidding war. And I refuse to, because one is that's going to get, you know, gets people in trouble where they overbid and they overpay. Mm -hmm. And it may not affect me, but the bottom line is I'm still have to be a fiduciary for my investors. So you know, that's my mindset of looking into. And, you know, I don't want big, big swings. I'm older. I've had enough stress in my military career, being shot at, blown up, things of that nature. So I like steady, slow, steady climbs. I don't like big swings. Um, I don't want a heart attack. I don't like all that stress. So okay. I'm, I like dull, mundane markets that I can find good deals, get good buy it for a good cap rate, do some great value add and offer good returns. Nice. Yeah. And definitely landlord friendly states because Arkansas being probably the most landlord friendly state in the union, I believe, it's right? One of the most. Yes. Yeah. That's awesome. So how are you, how you, you're, how are you sourcing deals? And uh, like, you're, let's say, how have you sourced deals and how are you sourcing deals now with where we are in this like crazy marketplace? And I imagine even, 
I mean, I know a lot of people that are looking at Indianapolis and other areas that you've mentioned, even if they're not as sexy as uh, Tampa or uh, Phoenix. But um, so, I mean, how are you competing and uh, with those markets? And are you going working with brokers? I imagine you're working with brokers. Are you doing any other methods as well? Yeah. You know what's interesting? I haven't bought a property from a broker in over 18 months. Nice. Okay. So I, I still maintain the relationships, but yeah. and they still, excuse me, they still send me stuff. But it's not, I wouldn't call them deals. They're sending me properties to look at, <laughs> but I haven't seen a deal from um, a broker yet. Um, and, and which is fine. You know, there is a lot of money out there and there's a lot of investors that are coming in from out of state that, you know, they can pay cash for some of these properties. And, 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 and that's great. You know, that fits their business model, whatever, you know, that's, that's not me and how I, we operate. So, you know, with the, when the pandemic first kicked off, you know, we were still getting a lot of deals or a lot of properties to look at, but they were still pre-COVID pricing. You know, a lot of the, the expectation of sellers and brokers still hadn't caught up with the reality of the times. So we shifted and um, we started going direct to seller. And really the, all my deals in the last 18 months, so I, I've closed three this year so far, have one more in the books all off market direct to seller. So either through, um, we've had a lot of success through doing cold calls. So we hired a VA, we're pulling lists. We've tweaked a cold call script. She calls, generates those warm leads. We follow up and get them to close. Um, we're working at implementing a, a mail campaign now nice. uh, to keep that top of mind, to keep that going. And, and that's, um, you know, we're finding out that a lot of sellers are especially 100 units and below is where we're seeing the most success. Yeah, it's why I'm looking at 20 units and above, um, and we're really tar targeting up to about 75 units. And then we're finding more of the mom and pops where they don't want to deal with brokers, they don't want the hassle, they just want to, you know, they want to sell it, they want to, you know, sell it quick, um, and they just they want a good price. Um, and so, and we're able to, you know, work with them in a lot of aspects, and and so that's been how we, you know, that's, that's gotten us through so far. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the 20 unit and above, I mean, that little niche there, it's fantastic because with 20 units, it actually makes sense. You can really cut your management fees. If you, from having, you know, five units or three to five units to 20 units, it's quite a dramatic cut of your management fees. Maybe you're going from nine or 10% down to 7%, right? Uh, 6%, whatever it might be. So you, you really getting a lot of it and to kind of go from there, you've really got to put up more units. So you're getting the beginning of that uh, decrease in fees. And then the other thing too, is that you're just, uh, you're not competing with buyers usually from out of state, right? And that's one thing, like when we're looking at stuff in Florida and everybody and their mother wants to invest here. And it's something that, uh, you know, we have to put together like portfolios. I mean, you and I were on a deal two or three years ago and it was a portfolio that we did in Tampa and uh, it was the only way of getting that per unit price down. And um, you, but you have a lot of people that look at that and go, no, no, I want one property, one address, you know, all the kind of stuff that you're told when you read any type of uh, guru program or anything like that. And that's what they push, which is definitely the best. I mean, if you can find a 150 unit building, that's not overpriced, buy it. But the thing that was that, where's that broker really going to send that? They're going to send it to someone that's closed 10 of those in the last two years and, um, you know, can pay for it and uh, has a different return requirement than probably you and your investors do. But um, 
So let's talk about funding deals. I mean, I think one of the best things about going direct to seller is that the ability maybe to uh, put together some seller financing. And, uh, and then also maybe before going on to that, tell me about your VA, like where's your VA based? If uh, we'll talk about this first, like where's your VA based and how'd you find them and who trained them? Yeah. So our VA is based out of the Philippines. Um, found her through Upwork. Okay. Um, so it's a great place. Got a great price. We, uh, she has uh, um, cold calling experience in real estate. Okay. So the training train up period was, was very small. And so she had, we use Mojo dialer as well. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, uh, for those that aren't familiar and we load it up and then she can basically hit buttons and it, it's kind of like an auto dialer. So it helps make her a little bit more efficient. So instead of dialing individual numbers. Um, so, you know, we've had those in place. She had experience with that. And then we just, Hey, here's our call script. Here's what we want you to focus on. And then here's our, our, our parameters. And so, and it's worked out great. Like we don't have her get a lot of information. It's like, are they interested in selling? Yeah. Verify, you know, if they'll give a price, can we get, you know, verified number of units? Cause a lot of these lists, you know, maybe off a little bit, you know, um, and then, you know, when are they looking to close? And then, so it's just very minimum, maybe a five minute conversation. And then she'll just be like, Hey, one of the partners will call you directly. And then that's what we'll do is I'll go on. And that's when I'll be like, say, hey, you know, what are you going to do with your proceeds? You know, why are you selling, you know, and then, and you're right, you know, dealing with the smaller properties, it is more of the mom and pop. We've come across a number of folks that want to retire, you know, they're older, their kids don't want it, have no interest in it. You know, and so awesome. Hey, have you thought about capital gains? Are you looking how to avoid this? You know, have you thought about, you know, carrying a note? You know, you own this thing. You, there, there's zero debt on it. You know, do you want a big cap? You know, here's what we can, you know, offer. We're willing to, you know, what what creates that win-win situation? Mm -hmm. um, so, and we had a, we found a 72 unit. We never, we didn't go to close. They kind of backed out a little bit um, just due to, to family squabbling on their end. But they were going to do, um, it was a 8% uh, down payment is all they wanted up front. They were going to carry a 25 year fixed rate uh, note wow. and for hold it for 25 years. They just wanted, and they at like, uh, um, we, we didn't really lock down the, the interest rate, but it was going to be around that three to 4% interest rate. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, crap, that's, you know, yeah. That's good. You know, I mean, I'll, I'll take that all day long. And I was like, let's go, you know, I'll, I'll do this. And, um, you know, and, and that deal's not dead. You know, we're still following up, um, still making calls. And as soon as they get their family, um, the partners are all of family members. Uh, as soon as they get that worked out, you know, we should still be able to pick this property up. But yeah, so there's all sorts of, of, of opportunity. Um, you know, with that, uh, we're doing, uh, depending on the deal we're, we've done, uh, JVs, you know, joint mm -hmm. ventures is bringing on a couple folks with some money, um, especially on these smaller properties, um, to doing syndication. So it's, it's, uh, just depends on the property, the returns, what the business plan is, the market, you know, so we, we, we basically, we look at each, each deal independently and yeah. then which one where it makes the most sense. Yeah, the other thing too, I just want to say about the seller financing, which I think most people look into it that are newer investors and are like, oh, this is fantastic. I can get in less than 25%, uh, right? Or I don't have any money. I can get in with zero, which I don't know if you think is a thing right now. But the thing too is that you can avoid a lot of the fees and limitations when working with a bank. So 
you know, when you're dealing with a bank directly, even if you do get it funded, I mean, just the prepayment penalties alone. And if they do, if you have a 10 year term, I mean, you're talking, you know, the step down five, five, four, four, three, three, two, two, one, one. And I mean, you're paying anywhere between one and 5% of a prepayment penalty on that loan when you're refinancing or paying it off. And that's something that you can, obviously you're going to word this. It's going to be probably your attorney. That's the one that's drafting it. So you can kind of put in what you like, but it's, there's a, a ton of junk fees, let's say, are eliminated. So it really, it's a true 8% you're putting down. You know what I mean? It's not like I'm putting 25% down, but now I've got three to 4% of, of bank junk fees. Let's be, I mean, somebody, you know, so you got to pay the person I'm talking to on the phone. I got to pay the investment committee and, you know, the, you know, the bank, and, you know, you're paying points here, you're buying points, you're all this kind of stuff that goes on with when you're dealing with the bank. So it's, that's a whole other thing I just want to bring up that, uh, yes, the down payment sounds fantastic and that rate sounds fantastic because I've gone to appeal before. Uh, like last year, we were going back and we're still going back with them that we made contact with them last year. And it was like, uh, we went and offered five uh, on the, and they're like, oh, that's a little low and stuff. And it, it doesn't matter. I mean, if you have the prepayment penalty and you can get in there for less than that typical down payment is, right? And it stays off your credit as well. So now it doesn't mark against you as being another debt that you have. So there's so many different pros with the seller financing. But um, what, when, when, uh, when they've been warmed up from your VA, what are you doing to track them? How is that? Is it already in a CRM? Are you putting it into a CRM from, say, I guess it's like a Google sheet you might give to your dialer? Um, how are you? What kind of system yeah. do you have in place to follow up? No, yeah. So uh, right now we're we're and we're looking at tweaking this to make it a little bit more uh, streamlined. Mm -hmm. So within Mojo, when we load up the list, it's basically it's like an Excel spreadsheet. So uh, she's able to go in and take notes. And so yeah, we know who's who's hard nose, you know, maybe non-contacts, things of that nature. So we can track. And then what we'll do is we'll take that and I'll actually stream it down even smaller, put it into another Excel spreadsheet. Um, just to keep track. Okay. Hey, I contacted on this date, you know, left a voicemail um, or email, whatever the case, you know, add my notes. What we're looking at doing, um, I'm looking at doing this because I just brought on and, and brought in uh, my own CRM um, through HubSpot is incorporating that into HubSpot. Um, so I can have a more, you know, so I can get the automatic reminders. Hey, it's been a week. Yeah. Go ahead and call them back or whatever, you know, whatever the, the stipulation is. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. We use a Podio for our, when we actually have contact with someone, we'll put in the Podio and it'll email you whoever the contact is on that. And uh, you can then log in or you whatever, go to it and just uh, pop in, Hey, when's the next time I want to talk to this person. So it's something, you know, whatever, three, six months, then you can always mark how you had contact with them or you didn't, you know? So, cause there's some people you email, you never hear back from them. Some of them you text and they're back to you in five minutes. So it just depends on people have their own specific, um, medium that they like to converse in and uh, you kind of have to just follow that so what we well, were talking before about managing your deals you have all third-party management so are the smaller ones you're and you're handling more of the asset management are the smaller ones more time intensive and are you strategically kind of buying these properties so if you buy a 20 unit are you now focusing more on that area to try to get a little bit more scale or what is your strategy there? Because I, I feel that um, it's much more work buying the smaller properties, but like you said, you can, you can get a much lower price. I know in Florida pre COVID at a broker here, those tell me unit uh, complexes, hundred plus units were selling at a 4% premium versus one that was, so it's like crazy. You buy one from 90 versus one that's 110. 
and you might be paying 4% more just because of so many people, syndicators, that want to buy these properties and will pay more for them because they want the ease of just buying one property. So it's something that you can do it if done correctly. I just want to see what your strategy is there with the smaller properties. Yeah, I'm, I, you know, I look, you know, uh, definitely economies of scale. So, you know, I'll start out, you know, and, and I'll pay more for property management for my first property because it, it's a standalone, even for 20 units, you know, I'm going to get a little bit of a discount, but you know, if, if I could find a PM that would give me seven, 8% on 20, unit, I'd be happy. You know, I'm, I'm, I got them negotiated down to nine, you know, uh, for, for initial versus 10 in some of these markets, but yeah, you know, then we, we will concentrate. We can find them in that same locale. I have no problems owning, you know, five twenty units. There's a hundred units right there. Yeah. And guess what? Now I can potentially hire an onsite manager to take care of those, which is going to decrease my, my uh, expenses. You know, I'm going to have some payroll, but you know, instead of paying eight, nine, whatever percent, now I can manage the manager directly, or I can still have property management per do it, but I'm only going to pay, you know, one or 2%. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so definitely looking at that, that scalability. And so I don't, you know, you're always looking at your operating expenses, but I also take in mind when I'm first into a market and getting my foot in there, I don't, I don't try to get the best deal I can with property management. You know, I try to get a good deal. I try to get them down a little bit, but I'm trying to build that relationship of going, Hey, all right, do a good job for me. I'm going to pay you well for this. And guess what? You're going to be my go-to. Then once I have a hundred units, then you're going to take care of me a little bit more. You know, yeah, I'm taking care of them as well. Yeah, it's great. I kind of like the idea. It's it's a starting point. It's one thing, but I kind of want to talk to them about where we're scaling at. You know, where's the gross? Where's the units that? And you know, they're like, oh, you know, it's thirty five units or whatever it might be. So now you know, okay, now I've got to get this twenty to forty units as soon as possible, and I can like decrease it. And then that's a whole. Now you've just got yourself into a competitive advantage against other people because now you're paying seven percent, and somebody else coming in is paying nine, 10%. So now your management is uh, 30%, 20% less right across the board. And that's a fantastic place to be in. Not that you want to overpay, but uh, you can now go in and maybe sharpen your pencil a little bit more than someone else because of that infrastructure and that scalability that you have in place, which is, a f- which is the best place to be in. So. And then, you know, and then it also works on the backside, you know, when you go to, to yeah, hundred uh, units yeah. now, not 20. Exactly. Right. A hundred unit portfolio. Now you're in that, Oh, I can charge that 4% premium. There you go. You know? So yeah. So that's, it's uh, yes. Scalability and, and, and thinking of that it definitely has its advantages. Now the thing with that, which is people are like, Oh, well, that's on different properties. Well, I mean, if it's in within a mile or two or something of an area inside the same neighborhood, it's different if it's in like, you know, uh, 20 miles away or something, then it's kind of doesn't really work. But if you're close in there, I mean, that's, that's where you can get that benefit. I mean, that's where you can start. Uh, yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, that's the best way of doing it, I think, is where you're going to have the best, uh, the best returns because that's additional return on it for doing nothing, right? Because there was no, you didn't add any more value there per se on an NOI line. You're just adding more value just because someone can come in now and uh, their costs can be a little less and it's easier for them to manage because you're just talking to one management company, whether it's that they had hundred units all over and they might be talking to several. So, right. so what are common mistakes you see real estate investors make? Oh man, you know, and I've suffered from it too. I think we all have, I think the two biggest one is basically analysis paralysis, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially on that first deal. And then basically 
because of that, and really what it boils down is, is inaction. So fear. So probably the biggest thing is overcoming that fear, because if you have if you if you're um, fearful of of making mistakes, then that's where you get analysis paralysis. You start getting you know buyer's remorse, or you know you start second guessing. Um, so yeah, it's my and that would be going back is is so that's the biggest mistake. And I'll just go back and anyone I talk to is like you know what, fail early, fail often. And that's, if I could go back, I wish I could fail sooner than I did because, you know, I, I'd be a lot further because I learned more from my failures than I have from the successes. And, you know, now that I'm, you know, so, um, and you get those failures out of the way and I'm not saying like make a big one. If you can make a lot of small failures <laughs> and mistakes, especially at the beginning, um, you know, it's, you're going to do, you're going to make less mistakes and you're going to have more confidence, um, you know, as you get into those bigger deals and stuff. Nice. Okay. Uh, what do you think are the main factors that have contributed to your success? Yeah, uh, man, that's a good question. You know, I, it's funny. I get kind of asked that quite a bit. Um, I boil, boil it down to it. It's my, why, why am I in this? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Also, I think it's my willingness to say yes and then figure it out. <laughs> Getting over that fear, uh, so they, uh, um, uh, abundant mindset. So, you know, when I'm looking at a market, I don't have competitors in my markets. I don't have, you know, other investors. I look at them as future partners, right? Just because we're, we're, we're maybe on, on different sides of this, this property, um, compete. but now I have a new contact and, hey, we have similarities and criteria and stuff. We're looking at this property, you know, Hey, let's talk, let's maybe partner up on one, you know? So, uh, so keeping that mindset. And then I think another one too is more of an intangible, but I think my experiences in the military, um, you know, being um, uh, teamwork, you know, we're all constantly in the military. You're, you're taken out of your comfort zone and you on a deployment, you may deploy with people you don't even know, but yet you're expected in a short amount of time is to congeal as a team. So I think that is helpful because we know that uh, commercial real estate in particular, it's a team sport. Yeah. So interesting. Those are fantastic. And uh, as we're wrapping up here, tell us about your 501c3, the paper crane foundation. Yeah, no, thank you for bringing that up. Uh, yeah. So uh, it goes with my why, you know, in a little bit more, you know, with the veteran pride investment group, you know, I donate 20% of my profits, my company's profits back to first responder and veteran charities. And that wasn't, um, again, maybe I'm, I'm a little impatient. My type A personality to some aspect wasn't, uh, um, I wasn't helping as much as I wanted to. So my wife and I, and really her idea was to start a nonprofit. And it's basically, it's research-based. So when I was in, I was expo exposed to um, multiple blasts during my my deployments and ended up with a traumatic brain injury, put on a wounded warrior. Um, and we were looking around and there's a lot of non-veteran nonprofits out there that are offering uh, um, experience type retreats. And those are great, but, you know, those are short lived. And so we wanted something to go, you know what I, cause I walked with a cane. Um, I had balance issues. I had memory loss. I had, and, and I'm still dealing with those challenges. But it wasn't until I got the proper help. 
And what we're doing or found out when I was finally got to proper medical care is, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of research that's, that's lagging, you know, there could be more that could be done. So we came up with the paper crane foundation is basically is to promote and fund um, research for traumatic brain injury and post-traumatic stress. And, you know, so we wanted to do more. Um, so that's how we, we landed on that. Uh, we're getting ready to kick off this year is a five to seven year uh, research project um, with a couple other nonprofits that dealing with uh, brain injury. And what we're doing is we're actually in, in those we're working, we got good funding and stuff with those through grants, but we're kicking it off as the end of this year with a trip to Mount Kilimanjaro. So I'm taking myself, four other wounded warriors, actually taking a first responder, a local firefighter, and we're going to summit Mount Kilimanjaro. And this is our kickoff. It's going to raise awareness. And really what we're doing that awareness piece is everyone that's going, we've suffered from um, a brain injury. And so what we want to do is, is show other veterans, first responders, people out there that, you know, just because you have those injuries, those challenges, doesn't mean you still can't go on and overcome them and still do great things. So, so that's what we're doing this year. Um, we're really excited about it. And, you know, um, we're just shy of our goal. So we still, um, so anyone out there wants to help us to get to Kilimanjaro this year, <laughs> please come out. We're looking for, we're just, we're right there at the edge. So um, we're going to get there. Um, but yeah, so really, anyone who wants to help out, please, uh, please come, come, come support us. Please pass the word out. Yeah, for sure. I will put uh, the links and in, uh, into the show notes. But let us know how your uh, how our listeners can learn more about you and your business. Yeah, I am readily available. I probably make myself more more available <laughs> than I, than I should. Um, but again, it goes back to that abundance mindset. It's all about networking, building a team, building you know, keeping you know, keep moving forward and helping out. So really the best way to get a hold of me is, is email me. So colby.bowers at veteranpride.org, O-R-G. Um, you can get a hold of me directly and then we'll set up a call. I'll talk to anybody. Uh, you can go check us out on my website, obviously, veteran, uh, www.veteranpride.org. Um, and then also on LinkedIn. So I try to post uh, some blogs. I'm behind. I'm behind. I've been busy. So I got to get back up to posting some content. But uh, yeah, anybody, you know, reach out and want to talk. Anyone wants to get started, want to invest in any of my markets. Um, you know, definitely uh, looking forward to meeting new people. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I'll put the links to Veteran Pride and also the uh, Paper Crane Foundation. And I'll put those into the show notes. So thank you so much for coming on today, Golby. Thanks for having me, Charles. Good seeing you again. Thanks. See you soon. Hi, guys. It's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at ScheduleCharles.com. That's ScheduleCharles.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. 
Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Syndication Superstars, LLC, exclusively.